0: Welcome to the Evolve to Succeed Podcast. I am Warren Munson, the host of the podcast, where founders, entrepreneurs, business leaders and experts from a variety of sectors are interviewed to explore the link between personal and business success. In line with Evolve's principles, we also look at the importance of personal development, accountability, and collaborative support in the pursuit of meaningful success. Through the insights of our guests, as well as my own business journey. The aim is to inspire you, the listener, to become better in life and in business. Welcome to this week's episode. My guest today is Sue Campbell, founder of Kind2, which produces award-winning shampoo and conditioner bars, which are completely natural and 100% plastic-free. Sue started Kind2 in 2019, but this is barely half the story. Born and bred in Australia, Sue's career has ranged from roles in consultancy, accounting, and finance to ultimately the recruitment sector and included stints working in New Zealand, Hong Kong and the UK which she now calls home. As you'll hear, Sue has always loved travel and the great outdoors with an amazing sense of adventure but it was these amazing experiences that alerted her to the overwhelming presence of plastic pollution. The final catalyst came when her husband returned from a sailing race across the Pacific Ocean with tails of seeing more plastic than fish. Sue left her corporate career, returned to London and has since embarked on a mission to disrupt the status quo in the personal care industry and thus Kind2 was born. So on today's podcast, Sue reveals the incident that finally turned her entrepreneurial instincts into action.
1: And it made me think a bit more about yeah, Would I be happy with what I'd achieved in life so far? And you know, what's it all about?
0: Talks about the importance of outsourcing expertise to those that share similar values.
1: Feels like it's really helping us with the people part of that pillar. Even though we don't have employees, you know, we're spending money with an organisation that is basically doing good in society. And you know, to me, that's quite
0: important and gives her thoughts on sustainability as a marketing gimmick versus it being part of the brand's true living values.
1: I'd like to think that it helps people make decisions or informs them because those big brands have a bigger reach.
0: So if you want to learn more about Evolve and the services that we offer, then please do go to evolvemembers.com. But for now, let's get on with the show. Welcome, Sue, to the Evolve to Succeed podcast.
1: Thank you very much, Warren. I'm excited to be here.
0: Yes, well, it's great to have you on the podcast. I'm really keen to learn more about your story and your new business and the product kind mm-hmm. too. But looking at your background, you spent a lifetime, I say a lifetime, but a career yes. uh, in tax and in recruitment, starting in your native Australia, then spending some time in New Zealand, some time in Hong Kong before coming to the UK. Now, is that through a sense of life and adventure or is that through being restless and being slightly nomadic? You know, what drove you to travel the world and and work as you did so?
1: It's a bit of a combination of things, to be honest. Um, When you grow up in Australia, you have a, a strong sense that you're somewhat isolated from the rest of the world. You know, you're in this little place that takes a long time to get there from pretty much everywhere. Um, And my father is also a Scot. So I always had a a strong sense of being drawn to this part of the world. Uh, But actually, the moves were all work related. So I was transferred to New Zealand for a specific job with the same company I was then transferred to the UK. And when I was in the UK, um, and that was in the recruitment industry, I really thought, yeah, this is an interesting place to be. But I had this really strong sense that Asia was absolutely booming and I wanted to know more about the region. And then just by complete and utter coincidence, someone I had previously worked with in Australia uh, was heading up the Asia-Pac region for Corn Ferry at the time. And they approached me about a job in Hong Kong and I didn't even have to think about it for a second. I was like, literally, when can I start? (laughs) (laughs) Um, And, you know, I guess it's a sense of adventure. Um, I grew up in suburbia and even apparently when I was five years old, I was already talking about leaving suburbia. So maybe I just had the sense that there was more to see and doing it with a job is obviously a fantastic way to do it because you get very immersed. It's a lot more than just, you know, two weeks holiday in bali top of
0: yeah as you, you do get immersed in the culture of it i assume and, and yeah. really get to understand the people the culture the region the traditions and everything that goes with it yes so why settle in the uk then what brought you back to the uk
1: yeah i wouldn't Go so far as to say settle. Um, <laughs> ah, see, that's
0: like that life <laughs> of adventure. <laughs>
1: yeah. Um, we came back here uh, partly because we left from here. So we were relatively sort of well established here, had a, a home to come back to. And there's something in my mind about completing the circle in some respects. So making the decision to go back to Australia, it, it does, it feels like it would be another phase of life. I mean, I've been away from Australia for 21 years now. It's quite a long time. Um, The country's changed in lots of ways that make it possibly a more interesting place to be because it's a lot more global. But I also thought that here is an easy place to start a business because it's a larger population um, in a smaller area. And some of the things that I was interested in, particularly around sustainability, it may surprise you that actually I would say people are further ahead along that curve here than they are in Australia.
0: So you think consumers in the UK are more wanting, desiring, appreciative of sustainable products?
1: I think they are, certainly a couple of years ago. Maybe the gaps closed a bit. Um okay. but, You know, it's the Blue Planet effect.
0: Yes. That had that, a
1: really significant impact on people. It was people. profound, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah.
0: So – In May 2019 you launched Kind2 so we should tell our listeners what Kind2 is so what is Kind2 Sue?
1: So I would say Kind2 is the future of hair care and the future Uh of hair care as far as I'm concerned is plastic free Um, so we are a solid plastic free brand of shampoo and conditioner at this stage Uh, we have ambitions to do products other than hair care down the track. But for now, that's what we do. And really, when you, when you find out that shampoo and conditioner is 80 to 90% water, all of a sudden you realise that that probably isn't that logical. Um, yeah, and yeah. so we... Yeah, we've launched our range, which is only four bars at this point in time, but we're looking to have a, a wider range of, of hair care bars and every single one of our bars so far is an award winner, which is something I'm super proud of.
0: Wow. I was mm. going to talk to you about awards because <laughs> you know there's a lot of businesses that are nervous or apprehensive about entering awards, but I see from your website that, yeah, you've been extremely successful on all of your products to be award winning and some great national uh, awards there. What has that those awards done for your business, Sue?
1: I think for many people the idea of switching to a product they're familiar with, which is liquid shampoo and conditioner, to a solid product that they're unfamiliar with, mm. they need a sense that maybe the endorsement that this is a good quality product, that it works, that I guess it's about efficacy of you know, working in, in the way that it should. Um, and I think the awards help people mainstream understand that this is not sort of just some crazy hippie thing, that it really is a yeah. product that works just as well. So it, it, it helps in raising our profile. Doesn't necessarily result in a stampede of sales, as I'm sure anyone who has won awards will know. Yeah. Um but I think it is about credibility building, isn't it? Um those yeah, types of absolutely. things. And we we've made very considered decisions about which awards to enter and which awards to not enter.
0: Okay, so it's a very strategic thinking mm, process. That's, that's yeah. uh, I agree, you know, uh, we've won awards and it's been about that credibility piece and we've got a team, so it's been about the reassurance to the team that they're working with a re- forward thinking business. You know, that was an, that in a win that I didn't expect to see or benefit I didn't expect, but that benefit was huge. But it is that credibility point. But I suppose we need to come back to, what did someone with a sort of corporate background in tax and in recruitment, professional services, you know what made you start your own business?
1: Deep down, I probably always wanted to start my own business, but had never found. So you think found you're
0: always that. destined to do that?
1: I've got a very entrepreneurial mind. Like I love the seeing you know, seeing possibilities, identifying gaps in the marketplace, and you know, it's creating something. Particularly a product when you've come from a service background is quite an interesting process. Yeah. Um, but it was really. bit of an epiphany that I had while I was away on holidays a couple of years earlier. I was in the Philippines in an absolutely beautiful place and I got some really tragic news about a friend of mine in New Zealand who had died quite unexpectedly and it made me think a bit more about would I be happy with what I'd achieved in life so far and what's it all about? And, yeah. yeah, there's a huge amount of pressure in a corporate role, um, particularly when, you know, in a leadership role and it's a very, very profit-driven company, as the company that I was well, working for was, um, publicly listed. I kept thinking, yeah, surely that idea of having an entre- that entrepreneurial streak I believe I have, I should really give it an opportunity to thrive yeah. and, and give it a test maybe before it's too late. You know, I don't want to have any of those regrets and, and all that yeah. sort of thing. Um and it took—that was a couple of years earlier, actually. So it took quite a few, yeah, you know, two more years probably before that had worked its way through what I was really thinking. But it was—I do recall specifically at that moment when I found out the sad news about my friend. Mm.
0: Those things happen in life; those mm. moments of truth, really, don't they? What make you stop and reflect and yeah. and see? But so, well, how did it feel like leaving the security of the <laughs> corporate world and starting your own venture?
1: Yeah, it's been a really significant change in so many ways. Um, oh gosh, if you asked me that 12 months ago, I might have had a different answer. Um, I've just recently started to spend more time with sort of people who I feel are on the same path as me. And yeah. when you cast a drift, really, I mean, it was clearly my own decision, actually, to, to leave. But I you know, left a very secure corporate role with a very large team, Um, in a very successful company to return to the UK and literally start with a blank sheet of paper. Um, And so I found the whole process of researching and trying to understand how we would go about doing this really fascinating. But I also would say that it is a bit lonely, particularly when you're used to Mm -hmm. having a, a team where you can bounce ideas or in some cases where you have an idea and then you work with a team of people to execute it. Well, yeah, in the early days, the only people, you know, thinking, strategizing, executing, oh, that's me again. Yeah, that's me again.
0: It's a one-man show or one lady <laughs> show, isn't it? Yeah.
1: It is a bit. And, you know, we've now grown to the, the size where we've outsourced quite a number of those things and so we've got a virtual team. Um, but those early days I found it both exhilarating and a, a little bit sort of strange is probably the mm-hmm. right way of doing, of describing it. Mm.
0: Yeah, I, I left a corporate role, you know, with fifteen hundred people in the UK around you supporting you, and started my my business with a laptop, phone, and a desk. And I can remember being in a surfaced office, you know, sort of ten by ten by six foot kind of room. Sat there all on my own for the first few months before I brought some team members on board. And it was a really weird experience, isn't it? Cause you go from one to the other, and it can feel quite isolated.
1: Yeah, yeah, but I, I think I was I was ready for that. I was really ready for a change. Uh, we yeah. had a couple of months in Australia on the holidays before coming back, and so we came back in April. So heading into spring and summer, which is clearly a nice time to be here as well. So you know, I was sort of full of optimism and enthusiasm, and I love learning new things. So I mean, there's obviously quite a lot to learn in this situation. So that in itself was really motivating to to spend the time. Researching and really working on you know, ideas and so forth.
0: So, what made you stumble upon, or what made you decide to pursue shampoo bars and conditioner bars as your product and as your business? Because that, again, that's so far away from where you were, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, it absolutely is. Uh, I knew that I wanted to do something that prioritized planet on the sort of equal footing of you know profit and people. So. Um, you know very much the B Corp ethos yeah. uh, that was firmly in my mind but I didn't really know exactly what it was so I started just sort of doing stuff like wandering around the supermarket and looking at products and thinking you hey, know what are things that are everyday products that are contributing to the problem I'm trying to solve the problem being plastic pollution uh, I spent so much time in Asia a lot of it traveling to some pretty remote places and it became so obvious that all of those single-use plastic bottles and wrappers and various other things that we you know, use day to day, if they're not managed properly, they end up, to a large extent, floating around in the ocean. And that was extremely noticeable when you're close to the ocean every day and you're in countries that perhaps don't have as much infrastructure, so it's mm. more visible. And... I guess we'd also notice that living in Asia with the rise of consumers, you know, as countries get wealthier, they tend to sort of consume more things. We kept seeing those little tiny sachets of uh, shampoo and body wash and so forth for sale in, in different villages and so on, places that we went to. And I just started to look at products and think of things that if it's something you use every day or every second day, mm. then you can have more impact. Um, And then the second part of that is I was talking to somebody who's a a former coach of mine from many, many years ago in the recruitment industry who I've stayed very close to. I had a coffee with him in my first couple of weeks back and we started talking about red ocean, blue ocean theory and all of those sorts of things as we tended to do when we got together. And it dawned on me that there really is an opportunity for people to buy more sustainable products in Hair care in particular, because I kept seeing a lot in a lot of zero waste forums, that the products that were on the market, people had the motivation to try, but they had a poor experience. So then it just seemed to me that there really was an opportunity to produce a really high quality product that could tap into motivation, but actually didn't have the flip side of poor experience.
0: And so how did you go about developing the product then? Because no, not are not a chemist at heart. No, 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 no. (laughs) Um, And
1: I thought, okay, I don't know how to develop this and I need an expert. So I use the internet like we all do. And I literally just started searching for cosmetic formulators and manufacturers. And I I I like i actually know the um, private label manufacturing market in the uk really well now because i contacted so many people Uh Uh, a career in recruitment i guess headhunting is a big part of what you do i was relentless i literally just (laughs) yeah yeah, had my long list i just cold called every single one saying this is my idea can you help me and i got so many rejections because people hadn't really been formulating those products Um, a lot of manufacturers didn't have the right equipment um, many of them were like, that's an interesting idea. It's probably a good one, but we can't help you. So then I'd get a referral to the next person. And after a huge amount of sort of trial and error, I actually think I might have been recommended to the woman I ended up working with who is okay. truly wonderful. I mean, she just did such a great job of formulating. Um, and I wrote a, a very long list of what I wanted it to do, what I, you know, the specifications of what I didn't want included in the products. I'd done my research um, and understood potentially some of the things that I could see as being more harmful chemicals that I didn't think we needed or and didn't want. Um, Yeah, and after mm, probably nine months, lots of iterations, we did eventually get there.
0: Uh, uh, Aha moment, was it? Yeah.
1: Yeah, well, a few sort of, mm, almost there, then aha.
0: have. And you, something you talk about there, it, I mean, it's for people in roles, people in life generally, but definitely in those early days of business, having to cope with rejection or overcome challenge is one of those things that, you know, some people end up, you know, giving up, turning around and going back perhaps into corporate life. So any tips for our listeners on dealing with, Rejection and that relentless ability—you know—in your case, to keep picking up the phone.
1: I I think it's one of those things that probably recruitment industry prepared me quite well for. You you get a lot of that, but to some extent, if you're not getting any resistance or rejection, are you really pushing hard enough against, Mm. you know, either your goals or, I guess, the norm? And you know, I was looking at creating a bit of a disruptor. product and so i didn't expect to find lots of people able to do this because i knew they didn't do it now so it was yeah. a logical extension of that and i suppose it's just about how you take it of course i take rejection personally to the extent that yeah. most people do you know if somebody doesn't like my product it, it, you know, i always want to understand more about why but it's still a little bit of like oh yeah um <laughs> yeah. i'm a naturally optimistic person and I really believe in the vision of creating a plastic-free toiletries range. And so the vision is really what inspired me to keep going. I kept thinking if if it gets to the point that I cannot find anyone to make this, I will find work out a way to make it myself. So I would ha- always having okay. a plan B is probably part of it too.
0: Um, Known in your mind that? is the this is your route you're going on but Mm -hmm. there's the alternative and just yeah yeah and pursuing so at that point you've you've created your formula you've you've got your product but you haven't got a brand have you and in in, and in the world of you know care and beauty and particularly hair shampoo and products you know there's some huge brands out there with millions and billions spent on brand presence and brand marketing so how do you then go about creating a brand and a brand that's going to stand up to scrutiny and kind of challenge against those big names
1: yeah so i had a a whole project plan of all the various things that i needed to do and they were all happening simultaneously so you had formulation development um sourcing manufacturing um creating a website etc and I tossed around all these different names for the business and eliminated quite a lot. But I had this idea that I wanted the word something that portrayed you know, kindness, being planet-friendly. Yeah. Um, I wanted it to be one word. It couldn't be trademarked. It, I had to be able to get a domain. And and you can imagine, you sort of start with this really big list and it gets smaller yeah. and smaller. <laughs> um, and then when I stumbled across kind too, as all one word, and it wasn't trademarked, and the domain wasn't taken, I just thought it's a sign. And so I just went right. just went That's for it. it. Yeah, it really, and then you know, over the course of a couple of days, like I literally sort of pounced on the domain. You know, it was yeah. within a couple of days of, of deciding that that was a good idea, bought the domain, then thought, okay, I'll figure out everything else, um, put the trademark application in, and those sorts of things, because I thought there's no point building a whole brand around a name that you can't trademark and can't get the domains and handles for and we probably had a couple of you know a couple of goes at the logo um, went through a few different designers and ended up working with a designer that I had actually met in person at an event Um, not knowing that he was a designer he was there supporting somebody else's business and I assumed Actually, I rang the person whose business it was. It was a magazine called Pebble Magazine, who are a sustainability magazine. And I really liked their branding and their positioning, of course, and their target market's very similar to mine. So I contacted the owner of that business and said, who does your branding? And that's how I found our branding person who's now done, did all that website design, did our logo, um, really helped set up, I guess, all of those sort of basics around brand and did our packaging. Um, okay yeah and we can and we continue to work with so um and
0: it is when you look it's a very strong brand isn't it that you
1: know
0: i think so yeah but it is you know and i think that but that's a real challenge isn't it to startups in your sector is that brand has got to be strong it's got to look you've Got to punch above your weight very quickly, haven't you? You've got to be able to compete head on, yeah.
1: And I think that I absolutely agree with you about having to punch above your weight. You have to, yeah, you you have to look like the brand or the business you want to be. And yeah, working with professionals on things like that is sometimes difficult, I guess, for people if they haven't got the money. But then I also would say there, you know, it's picking and choosing the things that have the greatest impact, and branding Mm -hmm. is. Absolutely, one of the things that has the greatest impact, so it's worth spending that money. And most of the people we work with are freelancers or small businesses, so in relative terms, they're quite affordable, um, and they're really passionate and they're experts. And yeah, they had expertise that I didn't have, so it was worth spending the money on.
0: And you've sort of alluded to that earlier, and I think is that one of your philosophies is you know don't. in the stage you are of the business at the moment is build a strong virtual team of people that have a passion for what you're doing and have the expertise and knowledge you know we talk about you know we got connected for this podcast by Nikki Webb mm-hmm. um, who's been on as a guest but you know she she is a digital marketing expert isn't she focused on sus- working with sustainable businesses yes. so yes and you built that network of people like that have you to support you
1: Yeah, so I think it's a combination of expertise and the right expertise, so deciding what's worth outsourcing and what's not. Um, And I came from an outsourcing background, so even though I worked in recruitment, I actually ran the recruitment outsourcing business in Asia, so that's philosophically the same sort of thing, Outsourced to experts so people who are experts in their field who actually really are aligned from a values perspective so they truly understand where you're coming from and some of the decisions that you might make and you sort of then feel that as a team you're trying to achieve the same thing so we we work with nikki who works really only with sustainable businesses and truly understands my target market Mm. we work with the design agency that also works with with pebble who do work in that space and really understand my customer. And actually the Fulfillment House that we work with is a social enterprise and it's a social enterprise that provides uh, employment and training for people with learning disabilities and autism. So again, it feels like it's really helping us with the people part of that pillar, even though we don't have employees, we're Mm. spending money with an organisation that is basically doing good in society. And to me, that's quite important as well um yeah. and you know, they've you know freeing up the time that it has to you know, have somebody else do the fulfillment is great but we're not using a big faceless corporate to do it either we're using an organization that you know, right. we so feel you've
0: is... stuck true to your own mm. values completely haven't you
1: yeah yeah
0: definitely um and then you so you've now got product you've got your brand you've you've got it the outsourced kind of manufactured you know lined up taking place how do you go about then launching the products in the market and educating the market? Because you know, liquid shampoo, li- liquid conditioner to shampoo bars, conditioner bars—that's quite a big leap, mate. If I had hair, maybe I'd know, but, <laughs> but, but but it seems quite a big leap for the consumer. So, not only are you now challenging the big brands, you've got to educate the market. So, how did you go about doing that? See, so, so I
1: thought about you know, a lot of thinking about actually you know, who are our target customers? Where do they shop? What do they read? What are the issues that they have? Um, I had the opportunity, I was part of a number of Facebook groups that are very focused on on zero waste and or low impact living. And so you'd say you've already got a community there of people who are tuned into that. So you don't need to explain to them what a shampoo bar is, they've probably tried one.
0: Yeah,
1: they are aware. So we looked at where do early adopter customers shop what do they read who do they admire that type of thing and so i built up a, a list of different facebook community groups uh built up a list of different sort of publications that are feeding into that um, a number of people who talked very actively about either sort of ocean pollution plastic that type of thing and mm-hmm. when we first launched um, we invited a number of those people you know, to join our community and have the opportunity to try a bar for free um, because we thought, well, you know, if you get it in someone's yeah. hand and they say it's good, then that's obviously a great way to start that conversation. Um, we worked with Pebble Magazine because that, I do think that was ground zero for exactly the type of people that we're talking about, um, sustainable yeah. consumers. And then we were lucky enough that the that was the sort of final part of 2019 although it seems such a long time ago (laughs) that there were two events two face-to-face events that we were part of Um, one was a pebble fest which is a um a get to you know face-to-face get together market panels talks those types of things um in london and then a zero waste christmas market and, again, you've got exactly the right type of customers yeah. already there, so they're pre-qualified. Um, and we had a stand at both of those, and they were really successful um, because people are in the mood to buy at that time of year typically, and we were talking to the right people. Um, and mm. I think actually that really got us going.
0: It's that know your audience piece, isn't it? Yeah. And like you say, know your consumer, know, know your ideal you know, customer client and work towards them and find where they are. Yes. And then... Go go go! Meet them, go serve them, and 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 build build from there. So obviously, things going well for you at the end of two thousand and nineteen, going into twenty twenty. We have had, or we still are, mid pandemic. What challenges has that brought to you as a relatively new startup bringing a product to market? So, yes,
1: yeah, so we always intended to have a combination of direct to consumer and work with wholesale. Um, you know, sell wholesale to retailers because I think not everybody will find your product online, nor necessarily will they want it. So, therefore, yeah. and so that those first few months of the pandemic, I think there was so much uncertainty that we found it really hard to get anyone to even sort of acknowledge take our calls. A lot of retailers, I think, were panicking, they didn't quite know what to mm-hmm. do. And we hadn't at that point enough momentum around our direct to consumer business. To really be driving enough traffic to sustain sales. So that was, I think it was probably June or July or so that I started working with Nikki. And you know, very quickly we thought, okay, people are now shopping online a lot more. Um, let's work on the technical side of making sure the website and SEO is really yeah. working and improve our whole not so much digital experience, but set up all of the infrastructure to make sure that that works really well. So I guess that's all the things like managing email marketing properly, et cetera. And that made a really big difference, partly because I threw myself into that. I just thought if I don't, okay. you know, there's a window of opportunity here. Yeah, you know, we really need to make the most yeah. of it. So we, when we're doing uh, this maybe compared to last year, five, five to ten times as much revenue off our direct-to-consumer website now, yeah. obviously, we come. We were coming from pretty low base because it was early on, but now we've got a lot more momentum, and we've got people on subscription, and we've got a lot more return customers. About twenty-five to thirty percent of our sales every single month are returning customers. Wow! So that so
0: that then that's a growing trend, then, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, because
1: it's obviously a re, a product that you use over a period of time, and then you need another one. So yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, and um that's interesting you talk about subscription there so are you build is that something you see you building as a subscription-based business or do you think you'll be more consumer product now through retailers i mean has has sort of the pandemic changed your view on your route to market
1: um no i don't think it has changed um when we are still we're selling a combination of direct to consumer on subscription and not on subscription not everybody wants to commit until they've tried it a few times. Um, We're getting more and more customers that are retailers, um, but I still see it being a balanced thing. Um, I don't necessarily think we are, we're not absolute mass market. Um, Mass market products, unfortunately, in our space tend to be made primarily from palm oil and that's something we don't use. Mm. Um, but there are some you know, medium-sized retailers, specialist retailers in the sort of zero waste, in health and beauty space that we're in conversations with, and that we have listings with. Um, so I can see that. I think she think both of those things are important to
0: actually it's have that as, blend. It's a blended approach, and it's just that yeah,
1: yeah, because I think with a consumer product, it's particularly an independent brand. I mean, we're a small indie brand. If somebody sees us in a, a store, they might then go and look at our Instagram feed or they might look at our website. So we need to have all of those things working quite well in order to create a brand that people feel is credible. You know, just, yes. seeing, just seeing it once, you know, it's very rare that somebody would purchase something that they're unfamiliar with without a recommendation unless they've seen it multiple times. So I think it has to be a, a strategy
0: of both and what's your view on there's a lot i've got to be careful how i say this there's a lot of sustainable products out there that are you know perhaps portraying to be sustainable they're using it as a marketing exercise and clearly they're doing some benefit for the environment and all of those things but it's not truly what they're about and they are using it say as a marketing gimmick i mean how does how do you feel about that when you are such a product that is so focused on being truly sustainable and how do you create the space for you when others are perhaps you know um, not doing it in perhaps the right way?
1: So I think there's a couple of different ways of looking at it you could say a large consumer company that produces I don't know hundreds of millions of plastic bottles every year and then decides that they want to appear to be more sustainable so they launch a small line that's vegan using recycled plastic and says it's sustainable is that greenwashing or is it actually a step in the right direction
0: mm.
1: yeah so i mean we are authentically 100 plastic free in you know packaging in product etc um will people always be able to pay the prices that we have to charge because being a small brand, you really are at such a disadvantage when it comes to the scale of production. No, but if they perhaps choose to buy a less expensive, slightly less sustainable product, it's still a continuum. It's a step in the right direction.
0: Yeah, it's Um, doing some good. Yeah,
1: yeah, doing some good. Look, I'm not a big fan of, I think there's a lot of greenwashing around the use of recycled, repurposed uh, plastic I think that's yeah. probably the one that, yeah, it's still plastic and it's still going to last for 450 years. Um, it doesn't make it any better unless we have a, a means of managing the recycling of plastic waste, which we don't. Um, and it's very rare for something to be more than sort of 50% PCR, so post-consumer um, recycled plastic. Yeah. Um, but guess i i'd I'd like to think that it helps people make decisions or informs them because those big brands have a bigger reach
0: and it starts consumers on a journey does not it yes once people start on that journey they could you know they could end up yes with products such as yours because they're actually then educate themselves more and it's that education piece isn't it so where would you like to see kind to in say five years time both as a brand and as a kind of force for good
1: So I think there's a couple of different avenues we might pursue. Certainly um, expanding beyond hair care is one, and we're already working on that. I think there's absolutely a possibility to have a whole range of different personal care products that are Mm. plastic-free that we could do and therefore improve our impact from a point of view of each bar saves two bottles. So if you've got more products, you can prevent more bottles being created. I also think there's potentially opportunities around collaborating with some other brands who are adjacent to us, and so whether we ultimately form some sort of relationship with somebody who maybe does oral care—I'm just picking that as an example. I mean, that's a very specialist area, and I don't really don't have any plans at this point to go in there. But you can see that the same consumer might choose to buy bamboo toothbrushes and toothpaste tabs and and things like that um, as by our products so is there some sort of synergy um do I think I'll be running this business in 10 years no probably not but around five years I feel like we would probably really hit our kind of hit our straps so to speak um you know it's growing um, and I think the appetite is growing amongst consumers as well so yeah I think um, poss- I'm, I'm, I'm open to possibilities i actually really like collaborating with other brands i think that's a really fun thing to do and we're about to participate in quite a large london-wide collaboration with a whole series of planet-friendly brands i probably can't say too much about but i think it'll be wow. a, well,
0: yeah Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: so make make us more visible
0: and um, where do you see yourself in 10 years time i mean is this a business you are looking to grow to sell to exit i mean is that the ultimate plan yes
1: it is. I imagine 10 years' time probably will have exited in some form or another, certainly won't be running it yeah. day-to-day anymore. Um, I'm very happy to work with other people, I actually. Love that whole, you know, if I have a team running it and I'm you know, just there in the background, then that might be fine too. Um, yeah, I think it's probably more likely than not that we'll, what, in 10 years from now, yeah, we will have exited. Yeah. Um, but only to the right people
0: only hey there's some examples of that around the world isn't there yeah yes where perhaps that hasn't always quite happened and the true the true commerciality of it then kicks out which you know again but you come back to it's done some good and if the product's doing good then so be it yeah you talked earlier about having a coach and mentor and one of the things that you did was that you know you came back to the UK you met up with that former coach is that something you believe in? You know, has there been people in, you know, during the, in your whole journey that you've sort of turned to and had as mentors and what benefits has that brought you, So,
1: Yeah, I absolutely believe in, in the importance of that. So the person I was referring to was at the time, in one of the businesses I worked with, we had this fellow as a, a coach, but he and I developed a strong personal relationship and got on mm. well and he's sort of always... Yeah, Maybe I've been fortunate I've ended up with some free coaching perhaps as a result of that friendship. Um, yeah. But I also think you know, it, it can take a, a form of, you know, rather than necessarily just being a coach relationship, I'm a member of a number of different forums that are around sustainability or that are around you know, ethical business, um, one which is also around spirited business, so really sort of having a strong sense of purpose and really understanding mm. the impact that you have on the planet. And having those networks and support networks, it's not only is it you know, good for your soul, it actually it helps you bounce ideas around. It's like having virtual colleagues. Um, yeah. And you know, sometimes there's something you sort of think, oh, you know, I'm just not quite sure about that. Or even in conversation, you pick up ideas, you ask them what's worked for them, what hasn't. Um, you learn so much. I'm a natural networker. That's probably why yeah. I went into recruitment. So I find understanding... From other people's perspectives, how they perceive my business, and actively seeking input is really important. And yeah, I think
0: with it, those ears wide open, yeah, 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 type of approach. But you know, evolve is about you know our core offering is peer groups, putting like-minded people together, either virtually or in or in the real world when we can, um, and and running events where you again, it's and I. You know, my passion behind that is I really believe if you put like-minded people together and just enable them to share and talk and share their experiences, the good, the bad and the ugly and the mad, um, <laughs> people learn from each other, don't yeah. they? And actually, you know, people form friendships, they form bonds and, and actually it means that running a business... Isn't such a lonely place after all because it can be. You can feel very isolated, can't you?
1: Definitely. And I completely agree with you about the importance of like minded people. Um, You take strengths from other people and you you give to them as well. So it's a really nice symbiotic relationship. And it's, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, what's it all about? You know, surely you want to surround yourself with people that you genuinely feel that you have something in common within a shared yeah. sense of purpose and values.
0: I, I, I can, and we're human after all, aren't we? And that's what yeah. about yeah. being humans all about, but I could see how some of your forums that you've talked about specifically that relate to what you're doing and the sustainability piece and the, you know, the spirited piece could really work, can't they? Because that really is groups of like-minded people wanting to form businesses, develop businesses, be successful, but do it in the right way. Yeah. So any So tips, if we turn to our um, listeners as consumers, perhaps thinking they want to live more sustainably day to day, lessons you've learned on your kind of own experiences as a consumer, as an individual, is there any tips that you would give?
1: I think everybody's journey is different around how they might choose to live sustainably um, because there's so many different aspects to it. Mm. But it's about perhaps what issues speak to you, what are the things that you're most concerned about, or if you want to make changes to your life, you know, where where am I consuming to excess the most? Because really sustainability is about the reduction of excess consumption if you sort of distill yeah. it down and that excess consumption can be fashion, it can be you know, things made in plastic, it can be travelling, it can be I don't know, I just think of all sorts of different things. Yeah, how you how you heat your home, etc. And 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 for a lot of people, having a a lifestyle that is full of many material possessions may give them a a great deal of happiness but it's, in my opinion, it's probably not necessarily what actually makes you happy. Experiences and people make you happy and they're the things, the memories that you hold on to. So when, when people are trying to think about how can I live more sustainably, I would say just start to observe what you spend your money on you know look at how much rubbish you put out every week and just have a look at what's in there and you can actually pick off some really big things that have a very dramatic impact but you don't have to be perfect at everything either. I mean that's no. totally unrealistic you know a lot of people are very strapped for time and you know there's nothing wrong with going to get a ready meal if you've only got you know half an hour to get your dinner ready but then on yeah. the other hand um you know one of the things that I've think is you know, a real travesty is how much food we waste mm. and so you know we made the decision that we'd get a, a fruit and veg box delivered every two weeks um and now i make our dinner based upon what's in the box rather than necessary yeah. so sometimes this resulted in some slightly odd dinners at times <laughs> um, but also some more adventurous ones you know getting out of our comfort zone getting getting particular things that i didn't like um but yeah, we as a family make sure that we are are trying to sort of tread as lightly as we can. Mm -hmm. So we've reduced our consumption quite considerably. We, I feel it's almost like, you know, I feel like I'm committing a crime against a, you know, a turnip if I waste it. Um, So I try and think (laughs) of, of things to do. Um, And I, I think if all of us maybe just imagine that there is a finite amount of resource in the world and how we, manage everything that we use and consume and and so on um yeah it really is up to us we can make decisions and it might be pick your battle yeah don't try and do everything perfectly
0: there's two things that um i think explain it really well for me actually and hit home with me is that reducing excess consumption i think you know if you just explain it like that Mm. it hits home and it makes you stop and think and then treading as lightly as you can I, I like that as a phrase. Mm. I, I think really sums it up really well.
1: Yeah. And yeah, people do often feel that sustainable products are too expensive. Mm. And that's because they're comparing them to really unsustainable products. Um, and I guess I used an analogy like our product versus, you. yes, you can buy a big bottle of shampoo in a supermarket for a pound. But it's mostly water it's probably only going to last you a month and then you've got a plastic bottle that lasts for 450 years mm-hmm. so a, a solid shampoo it'll probably last two three four months maybe even longer depending on yeah your hair and, and all those sorts of things you could bury the cardboard box that that came in in your garden and in six months it would have disappeared you really are leaving no trace mm-hmm. and you actually once you start to have a mentality of not engaging in excess consumption, you save money. You actually save quite a lot of money.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's just taking that leap, isn't it? And that that leap of faith and understanding it definitely as well. So as we draw the uh, podcast to a close, there's one final question I tend to um, sum up with. And and that is, um, Sue, what's your definition of success? What does success mean to you as an individual?
1: Well, that's a very deep and meaningful question. Does it mean? I think it's about a, a happy and joyful life, a life well lived, without too many regrets. Wow!
0: Well, it sounds like with your step and your move out of corporate life to find uh, form and found kind too, you've definitely making the, those leaps to live life without regrets. So. As we wrap up, Sue, you've been a great guest on the Evolve to Succeed podcast. If people want to find out more about you and about Kind2, where can they go? Well,
1: thank you very much for inviting me. And you can go to Kind2.me on the web or our Instagram handle, Kind 2
0: Perfect. Thank you, Sue. Thank you for being an incredible guest. And it's been really insightful to speak with you today on all things sustainable and learn more about your own business journey. Thank you, Sue. Thank you. It's really inspiring to hear from someone who started their own business relatively late on, having had a successful career around the world. I imagine the longer you are in a secure environment such as the corporate world that Sue was in, the braver you have to be to leave it all behind and start something of your own. And as we see this great shift towards more sustainability, it's exciting to hear from people like Sue, whose commitment to caring for the planet and indeed our children's futures, is not some marketing gimmick, but something that is at the very core of their brand's values and mission. Sue's story and outlook really is a great example for all of us as business owners on how to, as much as possible, make our businesses businesses for good. I think in the end, Sue's advice to tread as lightly as we can is the simplest the most impactful way of explaining our responsibility as business owners and individuals to be more aware of our impact on the planet thank you for listening and if you do want to learn more about Evolve then please do go to evolvemembers.com you can register there for our weekly insights and newsletter as well as learn about the services that we offer at Evolve including our peer groups one-to-one coaching courses for teams as well as our lovely co-working space at Nashley crossing pool and if you are a business leader in dorset and hampshire then i'm really excited to be able to say that through the dorset lep and the solent lep we have some fully funded peer network and peer group programs that we can offer to you so if you want to learn more again go to the website or please call the team i really do hope you've enjoyed this episode and if so please help us by rating reviewing and subscribing and listening to future episodes